Okay, here's how Miro works. See, it's amazing. What's everyone doing at David's desk? Ever since marketing started using Miro's collaborative online whiteboard, he thinks all our other teams should sign up. Why? He says Miro's making his meetings disappear. And if every team gets on it, that means even less meetings. They're using Miro for brainstorms, mind maps, customer research. So could we use Miro instead of having another hundred meetings for every round of feedback? Yep. You can comment, react to ideas, even leave a recording on the board. And what about presentations? There are Miro templates for that. How do you know so much about Miro? I've actually been using it all along. I just used a Miro board to plan the best vacation. Okay, I'm on board. See how Miro users save up to 80 hours every year by meeting less and doing more. Get on board at Miro.com with three boards free forever. That's M I R O.com. What's up, beautiful people? Good to be back with you, whether you're watching me on YouTube or listening to my voice on the podcast. So glad you're here. I have a special midweek episode. I interviewed Amanda Tyler. She is a lawyer, and she is the executive director of the Baptist Joint Committee. They are devoted to helping the government make sure that it is not infringing on the religious rights of anyone. Not just Christian nationalists, but anyone. And so Amanda does really, really great work. Uh, she's a huge ally in the in the fight to resist and to combat Christian nationalism. Um, I've met her before. She's just a great human. And she went to the Reawaken America tour to check it out. And I had her on to talk about her experience and also kind of break down what is Christian nationalism, the different flavors of it, why it's so important to resist it, and why it threatens the religious freedom of all people. So it was really great having Amanda on. It was always a treat. And I hope this episode helps you understand better uh, why people like us are so concerned. So that being said, thank you again for listening or watching this podcast. It means the world. If you want to support the work that we do, you can donate. We are a nonprofit organization, friends. That is how we were able to produce content and hold space for so many people. We have a whole community side to the work that we do. Did you know that? You can go to our website, make a free account, get access to our private Facebook community, get access to our community map with over 3,000 people on it. You can find who's in your area, send them a non-proselytizing message and try and get some coffee. You can sign up for one of our Zoom groups. That's all behind uh, our website. It's a free account. There's no cost for anything we do. So we do all this work completely free because people like you donate. That's how it works. And we are a nonprofit, which means all donations made in the US are tax deductible. So if you want to help be part of that work, you can do that. I'll put a link in the show notes and that's how you can support us directly. If you also want to support the podcast, you can share this episode. That would be awesome. Sharing the podcast or rating it helps other people know that they are not alone as they renegotiate their faith journey. And friends, do not forget, Theology Beer Camp is coming up in October. Get tickets. Link in the bio. The lineup's going to be amazing. I can't wait. It was such a good time last time. It was such a good... You know, that's a lot of times in one sentence, but whatever. Um, the point is, is that if you're someone like me who is trying to find better ways forward in their faith tradition... Trip Fuller is an amazing theologian. He gets a lot of his scholar friends out there. There's a lot of amazing podcasts, and they will give you 
just mind-blowing ways of thinking about the Christian tradition that I think for a lot of you will just click. It will make so much sense. So get a ticket. Come on out. I'll be there. Noah's coming out, our podcast producer. It's going to be a great time. So without further ado, friends, here is my episode with Amanda Tyler. I'll talk to you all next time. All right. Um. Wow. Amanda Tyler, you know, it is an honor and privilege to have you because you're someone you get around. You've testified at Capitol Hill. You went viral when you gave a definition of Christian nationalism. Um, and you are the executive director of the Baptist Joint Committee. And you're joining me on the podcast. Thank you for making time. It means a lot. Oh, thanks for the invitation, Tim. Great to be with you. Yes, absolutely. You know, I don't think you and I have talked on the podcast before. So why don't you kind of give folks a brief background uh, to who you are and the work that you do now? Yeah, so I am a Baptist leader and an attorney by training, uh, and I lead this group called Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty. We're an 87-year-old advocacy and education organization headquartered on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., and we come at our work from a Baptist perspective, uh, a word about Baptists for your audience. Yeah. Some yeah. <laughs> some might be very familiar, some less so, um, hmm. but, but Baptists are a very diverse group of people. There are no two Baptists who agree on everything. Uh, our work is supported by 15 different Baptist denominational bodies. Uh, the fact that there are 15 of them show you they don't agree on everything, uh, but they do come together across their theological and ideological differences uh, to agree on the importance, the centrality of religious freedom for everyone. Uh, this is a, a theological uh, passion for Baptists. It's also in the Baptist DNA. Baptists uh, from our beginning uh, were in persecuted minority positions in, in England and in other places in Europe and then here on these shores as well. And it is so from our theology uh, of an understanding of soul freedom, as well as from our experience uh, of being in the minority under the rule of established religion, that has led Baptists for centuries to stand up for religious freedom for all. So the work of the BJC is kind of the um, modern day successor of, of those Baptists who came before us. And for much of our history, our work was done in Washington, filing briefs at the U.S. Supreme Court or uh advocating before Congress, and we still do both of those things. Uh, but we also understand that protecting religious freedom for everyone is going to require everyone's involvement. So more mm. and more, we have seen our work as mobilizers, equipping people with the resources they need to stand up for religious freedom for all and to stand against what I think is the, the biggest threat to religious freedom for all, and that is Christian nationalism. Amen to that. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because I think for a lot of the audience, I, I, I could be the outlier here, but you know, when I think of Baptist, I just think of like someone in the SBC. I just think conservative. I think kind of right wing, um, you know, like a, I don't know, Tom A. Skull type or something. So I must be honest, even in my 30 years of being pretty deeply entrenched in evangelicalism, I didn't really know that that that, that there were Baptists beyond that um, who were you know who were committed to 
values like religious freedom for everyone, which would, of course, include Christians, but also includes other faith groups. So it is always, uh, it's still for me, I'm trying to rewire my brain, not to just assume Baptist means Southern Baptist, which I think is important for the audience to understand. One question I wanted to ask you, and then we're going to get into the main meat of why I brought you on. How long, how long have you been doing this work? Yeah, so I have been leading BJC for six and a half years now, and okay. the campaign that we organize called Christians Against Christian Nationalism is coming up on its four-year anniversary this July. Okay, so one of my questions to you um, is, Have you? has there been um, movement either way um, promoting or eroding the rights of religious freedom for all in the past six years since you've been, you know, doing this job? Yeah, I, I would say that our religious freedom rights are very much under threat in this country today. You know, I came to my my position to lead BJC just two weeks before Donald Trump was inaugurated to the presidency. And uh, I'm sure that your listeners remember one of his very first actions uh, was to enact the Muslim ban, which is an absolute infringement on religious freedom rights uh, to uh, base immigration policy in any way on religion. And then shortly thereafter, he announced um, his intention to do away with the Johnson Amendment, a piece of tax law uh, that keeps partisan politicking out of our uh, nonprofit organizations, including houses of worship. He also floated some draft guidance from his Department of Justice that would have really rewritten the law when it comes to religious freedom for everyone and church-state separation. Um, So we saw the beginnings, I think, of these of these very um, official governmental threats to religious freedom for all in the very early days of the Trump presidency. But then what we saw more and more were also threats in the community at large. Um, The hate uh, and violent actions taken against uh, people at their houses of worship. Um, And then other maybe more mundane everyday infringements on religious freedom and specifically on the value that our belonging in American society should never be premised on what we believe or how we worship or how we identify religiously. And I ascribe those threats to this rising tide of Christian nationalism, uh, an old ideology that has had other high points in American history. I want to be clear that this is not something new, although we we have a new term for it, perhaps, but this ideology has been around for a long time. But over the last six and a half years, we have certainly seen, I think, an increase of instances of Christian nationalism and a risk of normalizing some of these ideas that really cut against religious freedom for all and also cut against democratic ideals for our country. Yeah, I think that's really well put. It's almost like you do this for a living, you know, talking about this stuff. So do you, is it safe for me to say, and please correct me if I'm not right on this, is that you are a committed Christian follower of Jesus who is also committed to making sure that other people of other faiths and also Christians can worship freely without threat of, you know, either government infringement um, or one religion infringing on the rights of other people to worship freely. Is, is that a fair assessment to make? 
Absolutely. And and in, in doing so, I understand that my religious freedom rights are only secured when everyone else's are too. And that is the religious freedom to worship uh, at any, in, you know, worship in any faith and also to choose not to be religious. I think that is often left out of the conversation that our religious freedom rights include the right to say no to religion entirely. And yes. I, you know, I do this because of uh, a commitment to a pluralistic democracy, but also from a theological standpoint that faith must be freely chosen. And any one person's decision uh, to say yes to God requires an opportunity to also say no, right? That that yeah. has to be a freely chosen uh, commitment to make or not to make. And it the government bears no role or responsibility in that individual decision. And so that's why I am committed both as a Christian and also as a patriotic American to defending church-state separation for everyone's religious freedom. Yeah, I, I want to just emphasize for the audience how how you don't have to choose between you know recognizing that you live in a country that affords you freedoms and calling that you know being patriotic and also recognizing that christian fundamentalism doesn't have to doesn't have to take over the world uh and rule over everyone else like both of those things can exist at the same time right like we can be christians we can also support the rights of other people to either be free from or practice their own faith uh without um you know a government or or a, a public education systems forcing it down someone's throat which is why you know i know that you were outspoken on this and so were we um, that when in Texas they were trying to get the Ten Commandment bill passed, right, trying to force every public school classroom to proudly display the Ten Commandments, the reason why we're against that isn't because necessarily of a theological perspective I would hold on how I interpret that, but because having those things in a public classroom is now infringing on the rights of other people who have to either see that or, or think that the government is now pushing the Ten Commandments as a religious framework for them to adhere to. That's where the, the separation comes from. But for people in these more you know, fundamentalist or Christian nationalist spaces, um, it's seen they are really good, I think, at, at, at twisting it to making it seem like that's an infringement on their rights, that they can't have those things publicly displayed, which I think is a very interesting thing. And it's it's incredibly effective in as far as the rhetoric goes, but it's such a twist on what it, I think it means to have religious freedom. Yeah, and I think the Ten Commandments bill in Texas, which uh, thankfully failed to pass, uh, yes. the the legislative session ran out of time before it could come up for a final vote, which I count as a victory for religious freedom, is a great example of what these principles and values we're talking about looks like in practice, that the government has no role in uh, putting up a religious text at all. And, and they are necessarily picking and choosing. In the Ten Commandments example, for example, they chose an edited version of the King James Version, and they are making a theological choice in even what version of the Ten Commandments to put up because yeah. different uh, Christian expressions differ on their version of the Ten Commandments, let alone yes. how that differs from a Jewish understanding of the Ten Commandments. And, and that's why we just don't want government to have any role in this at all. Um, and this, this fight is never about whether or not the 
Ten Commandments are are good rules for living. Right. That that's not right. that misses the point entirely. Uh, but rather, all that can go wrong when the government takes any role in making religious choices for a free people. Yeah. Okay. I, I love that. I think that that's really good. I'm glad that you kind of spelled that out for the audience to hear. So, you know, you and I, it seems like in some respects are kind of kindred spirits because I am someone, and I, I don't really know you, Amanda. We've met in person a couple of times. I was, I've been at, at, at the um, Baptist Joint Committee headquarters when we did the uh, January 6th prayer with, you know, Shane Claiborne and, and Reverend Nathan. And we, we got some, some time to talk, but I don't know you personally, but it seems like you're someone who, you know, likes to at least approach things with curiosity, tries to want to understand things, and also does not want to misrepresent things either, right? Like, like we're, I feel like you are committed just to being honest about whatever you think is happening, whatever you think might be problematic in society. And you and I share that uh, agreement because I also don't want to be someone who's peddling, you know, propaganda or, or half-truths or trying to exaggerate claims uh, even when I think something is problematic. So I have personally went to now two events hosted by uh, Turning Point uh, America or Turning Point USA. I went to America Fest in December, uh, 11,000 people, um, all the big names that we you know probably have problems with, you know, Ali Stuckey, Candace Owens, Trump Jr., talked to a lot of people there. I did a recap video on that. And then I saw, oh, they're doing a pastor summit. So I signed up and I went and I talked to people and did a video on that. And then I heard uh, or I saw somewhere that you did something similar in a space that I also am very curious to experience. You went to the Reawaken America tour, I believe, at Mar-a-Lago, which is uh, where Trump resides. Yeah. Well, actually, it was some- the Doral uh uh, Trump Doral in in, okay. near, in Miami, close by in Florida, okay, but by. a Trump pri- property. Yeah, a Trump property. And you went and and I just have so many questions for you. I want to hear about your experience before you get into the nitty gritty. Can you kind of give people the overview of what the Reawaken America tour is, what they're doing? And maybe just I mean, there's the billboards. are. It, it's almost like playing Where's Waldo. There's so many faces on those things, but maybe just share a few of the more commonly known names of people that kind of attend these things. Yeah, so the Reawaken America Tour is a traveling roadshow of a toxic mix of Christian nationalism, conspiracy theories, and election denialism. And uh, it has been going now for more than a year and a half. Um, It first came to my attention, uh, one of its early stops was in uh, November 2021 in Texas, again, uh, in San Antonio, Texas. And Michael Flynn is often one of the headlining speakers at these events. And at that event um, in San Antonio, he said, you know, we are one nation under God and we should have one religion in this country. (laughs) So we covered that that clip. It went went kind of viral online in general. It was crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of shocking because we know generally that that is the the aim, but he said it out loud, right? That the the aim is authoritarian theocracy, that we're going to have one religion, we're going to force everyone in this country um, to live under that religion. And so then I became 
extremely alarmed about what's going on at these tour events and started watching it. Uh, also was working with Faithful America and Reverend mm-hmm. Nathan Emsel there to do some trainings of clergy in some the towns and, and areas where the tour was visiting to help them provide a response to what was going on at these tour events. Um, there's a man named Clay Clark, who is kind of the chief organizer of these events. And and his uh, interest in the Reawaken America tour is not just Christian nationalism and politics, but also uh, commercial. Uh, he, he sells things. He's a, a marketing guy. And so that's the other aspect to these is that they're also selling quite a few things at these tour stops. So I'd been watching. And then when I saw that it was going to be at a Trump property in Florida, um, I thought, well, this is one. I, I had been wanting to have a firsthand experience of what this was like because there's only so much you can understand, I think, from afar. I, I had never been into one of these events and so uh, took this opportunity to go to the event and also to have a counter witness to what was going on, a, a Christian response, an organized Christian response to reawaken America tour, but also to the broader threat of Christian nationalism. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that I think is a great um, summary. I'm even looking at their website right now. They're heading to Las Vegas on the, so friends, I'll try and describe like the banner. It's uh, the left says the great uh, reawakening versus the great reset. And on the left has a Bible on the right. It says COVID-19, the great reset. And then it's split with people. The left, it's all kind of color coded red on the left, you know, meaning like conservative. And then the right's blue. You have people like Greg Locke, Michael Flynn, uh, Mike Lindell, the pillow guy. They're featured. And then on the right, you have Bill Gates, uh, Obama, Mark Zuckerberg, and they're on the right part of this great reset. So even even like the the website is pretty clear, like, hey, we're just kind of all in here. So I got to ask, I mean, how did, did you buy a ticket? Were you and did someone invite you? Like, did people know who you were when you went? What was it like going? Yeah, so we did buy tickets. I, I went with BJC's communications director, Guthrie Graves at Simmons, and he uh, got us a couple of tickets to the event. Um, we gave our names. <laughs> um, so we, we weren't really undercover or deceptive in any way. Um, but People did not seem to know who we were, you know, and we weren't there to disrupt the event. We really were there just to observe and get a firsthand feel um, for what was going on. And um, so the the event itself was on a Friday and Saturday. On the Thursday night um, before the event started, there was a special event called Pastors for Trump, um, which was the first in-person gathering of a new 501c4 organization that is planning to raise money to be involved in the presidential campaign, obviously for Trump. It's right there in the name. Um, so, So that was our introduction to the event itself was going to this Pastors for Trump gathering. Um, and, and that was that was quite a warm up act, you know, for the rest of the conference. Uh, Michael Flynn was their kind of keynote speaker, but they heard from uh, a few other um, pastors, including Jackson Lawmeyer, who is this um, person in Oklahoma who actually ran for Senate there, um, very right wing candidate and um, has 
been, I think, one of the most extreme voices uh, for Christian nationalism, and he is one of the organizers of Pastors for Trump. Um, so he was there, and um, I will say that there weren't a lot of pastors in the room, as far as I could tell. I, I think that it was just a lot of people who were there for kind of this warm-up act for the rest of the uh, event of the Reawaken America tour. Okay, yeah, and I, I, the Reawaken America tour. I think people do kind of rotate out depending on like when they can attend. Like I've seen Sean Foyt be at some of these, and he's not at other ones. So you know, I, I want the audience to know, like, and, and Amanda, you're the one kind of guiding the conversation. So if I'm wrong, just correct me. But I see the Reawaken America tour as you know, you kind of have like, okay, you have conservative people like Russell Moore, maybe. Then you have like right wing people. Then you have like far right. And I kind of see Reawaken America. They're at the edge of the far right, and like you know, they're toying around with like the extreme right as far as everything's a conspiracy everything is you know uh just coming after our great leader trump and then you have people like sean foyt who are kind of the bridge i think for some people between that far right like like turning point usa and and sean will go to these reawaken america tours and, and be part of them and he almost is kind of a bridge do you think that's like a fair assessment based on what you saw at this event or do you put them maybe in like a different kind of camp entirely well, certainly what was being said at the event was very fringe, very conspiracy theory. And I'll give you an example. I mean, Great. several times during the event, um, speakers would tell people, you can't believe anything you hear in the mainstream media. And they included Fox News in mainstream media. You know, <laughs> after Fox News fired Tucker Carlson, you can't trust Fox News either. And so yeah. they would funnel the only thing you can believe is what we tell you. Or these very fringe, far-right websites or social media platforms. Um, and so they're creating this uh, echo chamber of information. But it's actually an echo chamber of misinformation, of course, and conspiracy theories. And so it's really radicalizing this group of people. Now, I, you know, anyone can watch a live stream of Reawaken America tour, but what's different, and, and I'd love to hear your experience, what was different for me was to actually look and observe the people who were there, right? And so some of the people who were there were more obviously caught up in these conspiracy theories, wearing QAnon t-shirts, for instance, and some... It was less hard to tell, you know, business casual, people of all ages, people who really seemed, you know, they were talking about the tour as a master conference. You know, people were there for like a conference. So it, you know, and a lot of the people there were obviously uh, having a, a somewhat religious experience. I mean, that's what we haven't talked about in the midst of all these political speeches are praise and worship music and sermons and Bible verses. And so they're weaving in almost this worship experience into this political rally. But yeah. these conspiracy theories and calls for violence also are are laced in throughout throughout the event. I'm sorry. Calls for violence. Can do you have any examples of that or yeah. specifics you can speak to? Yeah, and I will. Um, and I, I will say thinly veiled calls for violence might be more um, appropriate, but but very mm. thinly veiled. So at the Pastors for Trump event, um, there was a pastor from Oklahoma who was making a speech, and um, he kind of got you know almost into this 
Pentecostal rhythm of, you know, mm-hmm. yelling and, and talking in, in some of his uh, prayer. Um, and then he told this anecdote. Uh, he had a military background. And so he told this anecdote about um, how there was in, I think, Marine lore, there was this story where uh, all of the enlisted people went to their commanding officer and said, General, you know, we're surrounded. What do we do? And the general said, oh, that's exactly where we want. And we just fire in all directions. And the crowd went wild, right? Mm-hmm. Anytime there was an appeal to weapons or the Second Amendment rights, those would be some of the loudest applause lines. And then as he left the stage, he was actually introducing Michael Flynn, Um, at this event. And he whispered to Flynn, you know, I'm packing right now. Like there was just this, you know, the the violence was just right under the surface of a lot of the speeches that were made, um, which of course is incredibly uh, alarming. And and it wasn't, it was also talking about, you know, armies of God and and righteous, you know, invoking um, violence from the Bible. Of course, there are violent parts of the Bible, but invoking those passages as as inspiration for what this group of people needed to be doing in this time and place, yeah. right? Um, and so I, I, that was, I think, the most alarming uh, piece of the event for me was to see how, how present that was kind of throughout the event. Some people take the straight path in life, but at Arizona State University, we respect your twists and turns. They make our online students more driven to excel in their professional lives. That's why our personalized suite of services empowers you with innovative resources and staff that sticks with you. Make your next turn with one of our 300-plus programs at ASU, a top 10 university for online bachelor's programs. Tap to learn more or visit us at asuonline.asu.edu. Yeah, well, I um I remember we covered um Mike Flynn maybe two years ago, and he was at a church, and the church gifted him. I think it was an AR fifteen, and the crowd applauded, and he said, "I'll have to go down. I'll have to go down to DC with this mm-hmm. to another round of applause." And I remember, and this was this was before I was like fully baptized in, in how dangerous these spaces are. I remember watching it and just being shell shocked. Like I my I you know put my my hand through my head uh, through my hair, and I'm just like. Oh my God, a person at a church was given a gun by the pastors and the person made a comment about taking that gun to DC, a thinly veiled threat of violence. And the crowd laughed and applauded. And I I remember thinking to myself, whoa, like this is another level of rhetoric that we're just accepting as normal. Um, And so I can't say I'm shocked uh, but when, when you tell me this, but it is concerning. Now, I'm kind of curious to hear, you know, I've talked to the audience before about how there kind of is two major streams of Christian nationalisms. One is more based on like reformed theology. I'm thinking of people like Doug Wilson and others. Then there's this more charismatic stream, Seven Mountain Mandate kind of flavor. That's more of the Sean Foyt's, the new apostolic reformation kind of view. I feel like these reawaken America tours are more drawing on the charismatic tradition of like prophecy, uh, you know, maybe speaking in tongues, you know, thus says the Lord more than that reformed tradition. Is there kind of like a broad theological tent that you can kind of paint this under or, or is it just kind of really a mixed bag? Yeah. And I guess I want in answering it, I want to think about the Christian nationalism on display at Reawaken America versus Christian nationalism more generally in the culture. And so this yeah. is one type of Christian nationalism at, at 
Reawaken America tour, but there are lots of other kinds that we find in all different kinds of circles and areas. So, so I want to kind of say that. Now, what I saw, I think, is more in that charismatic tradition that you're talking about. I did hear speakers invoke dominionism explicitly. Um, there was a lot of prophesying going on there, you know, there. So that was part, uh, I think, more present in, in what I saw there in particular. Um, but I don't want to leave the impression that that's the only place Christian nationalism, Christian right. nationalism is in mainline Christianity too, right? But in, yes. in a different form, it shows up differently. Um, yeah. It is not, I think, as explicitly violent um, or or linked to this attempt to completely overtake the government um, with their version of Christianity, which which is what Reawaken America Tour is more about. Anything that surprised you, even though you track this stuff for a living? Anything that made you go, even for me, I'm pretty shocked that they're just saying this. Yeah. Well, we talked about the violence. Um, yep. I think the other piece was, and I knew they did these, these baptisms. So mm. at every Reawaken America tour, there's a time for baptism. Now, I am a Baptist. Wow. Right. <laughs> I, <the> name. <laughs> I was dunked as a child. You know, I know what full immersion baptism is about. And I saw some of the reporting about it. And at first I thought, are these people just weirded out by full immersion baptism? Like, what's going on here? Right. No, no. When I saw, so I saw some of these baptisms live. And uh, it, at this particular event, they had a blow up plastic pool um, filled with water on the porch while Mike Lindell was speaking inside. People were outside getting baptized and there was a long line of people. And um, what was different about this from any Christian baptism I'd seen before was there was absolutely no liturgy at all. People would just sit in the pool and someone would put them down under the water and pick them up and then they'd go on. So it was not at all clear to me what they were being baptized into, right? (laughs) Other than the Reawaken America tour, um, you know, into like believing what they're hearing there. That that's the only thing that I could take away what this baptism was for. And so that was surprising to me. Um, And then the other thing I think is, is just big picture, right? People have often asked me, um, you know, is this political or is it religious? Yeah. And I've always felt like it was somewhat of a mix, but that the leaders were really being motivated by politics and they were using religion as a tool in order to, uh, you know, bring people to their cause. Uh, and I still believe that to be the case for the leaders, for the speakers, but for the people there, it was very much a religious experience, or it yeah. seemed to be the way that they were receiving it. And so um, that really changed my thinking on this and and also, I think, makes uh, this threat even more dire because when people are experiencing this as a religion, uh, we know you know, I, I, I can speak as a religious person, like the power that that can have over your life and how it yeah. drives your decisions. And and so if this Christian nationalism of the Reawakened America Tour is your religion, then you are more likely to do whatever the leaders tell you to do, right? I mean, I, I, I think you're you're on the money there. I, I do go back and forth 
with the same question. Is this primarily religious or is it political? It almost feels like a chicken slash egg situation. <laughs> um, and I think it also depends on the person. Um, you know, like maybe a Ron DeSantis or a Trump, clearly more political. But then you have someone like a Sean Foyt you know, who's like, no, this is like the, this is the gospel mandate, right? To do this. Um, Doug Wilson would be another figure. So I go back and forth, but I, I do agree. I think for a lot of the people in these spaces, especially in these, in the more charismatic line, it is a religious experience. And, and then what I wonder, I do my best not to use hyperbolic language. I really do. I, I don't want to paint people unfairly because I don't like being painted unfairly. But the elements of cult-like behavior are kind of indicative of places like this. Um, and also to your point, Amanda, I agree as someone who is religious, who believes in a higher power, the God card, that, that, that way of thinking, and then seeing someone on a platform that you think is speaking on behalf of God, that's a very powerful um, situation that people can find themselves in, right? And we can look back in our own history as a country and see how when you start seeing the other as the enemies of God, and you are on the side that God is on, and that God has given you a right to eradicate said people group, you know, it, it be, it, it's a religious crusade. And again, I don't say that lightly, because I really try and make sure that, that we're giving, you know, factual things as much as possible. But for me, January 6th was that moment of like, oh my God, we're looking at like crusade or elements being manifested through a group of people now trying to overthrow our government in the name of God and country. And so for you being inside the Reawaken America tour and just seeing that, do you share some of those same concerns or do you think maybe what I'm saying is a little over the top and it's not as bad? No, I, I think that you're onto something here for sure. And I think what was concerning to me, and again, I, I am the same way. I, for one, you know, my work is about trying to dismantle Christian nationalism and thinking that every person has a continuing choice about whether we embrace or reject it. And so I, I, won't write anyone off as as being able to to move along the continuum and reject it. Um, yeah. But you know what makes this gathering feel cult like is this sense of again closing off all information. You know, you can't believe anything else. Only listen to us. You know, only associate in these circles. And everyone else is, is, it's an existential threat that we're facing and being told over and over again, you know, God has put you here for this purpose and we have to defend God. Like that, that, um, that could lead people to do things they otherwise would never even dream of doing. And I think that that in, for some people, again, you know, and we're still learning about January 6th, we're still learning, you know, the prosecutions are still going on about, you know, yep. for the individuals who were there, but many people there got swept up in something that was happening, you know, that um, there were those who certainly planned it. And then there were those who were there and who got swept up. And in part, they were swept up by Christian nationalism. You know, that, yeah. that's that been our work at BJC too, along with a number of other groups, but to help understand how Christian nationalism fueled the attack on the Capitol on January 6th. And so yeah. that was... Um, you know, an incredible wake up call for all of us. And I think we have to stay alert to it because those forces are still very much there and um, are 
are being organized. I mean, I think that was another takeaway from the tour is this was an organizing event. They were signing people up. They're keeping in touch with them. Many of them go on many on different tour events. They're building community in these spaces. Um, and, and in isolation, those are good things, community, organizing, getting together. But when they're getting together in, in this way, in ways that uh, threaten our democracy, it's really it's really concerning and alarming. Yeah, I mean, I listen, I totally agree. Jenny, for me, you know, my own faith journey and just un, really my own wake up call that like something is wrong in my own tradition. It really was kind of Trump and, you know, then COVID and just watching the responses. But January 6th was a day where I'm watching it happen. I'm thinking this is I'm watching history. Like this is a moment in history that that will change everything. And when I saw the Christian flag being paraded inside of the chambers, my heart just broke. You know, I was like, oh my God, like you gotta be kidding me. And I really thought at the time, like, there's so much Christian imagery here. This is gonna be a wake-up call for people that like something is wrong. And here we are, you know, a couple of years later, um, even though we've had, you know, committees and hearings and, and publicly televised things, you know, giving all the data on how this was broken down. And there is a very significant part of the population that's incredibly well funded that continues to deny any such thing actually happened, you know, frankly, right? Or that was just a few people that it wasn't organized or this is, you know, it was the police. And I, I should let the audience know this is not this is not as fringe as the Reawaken America tour. I mean, we literally on this podcast, we did a three-part series responding to Ali Beth Stuckey who had a quote-unquote journalist on her podcast who pushed those conspiracy theories. It was the cops who started it. It's a, it's a runaway DOJ. This is Biden politically persecuting his enemies. And we went through line by line dissecting. It took us like literally three and a half, four hours to do. But I say that because these aren't even that fringe when it comes to just conservative media. They're pushed. Charlie Kirk the other day tweeted, I know the election was rigged. I mean, it's like this is, this is not – this is not as far as the Reawaken America tour is, but the Reawaken America tour is part of that world that they're all kind of, it's very muddy and kind of confusing as far as the connections, because they won't say it publicly, but they all are high-fiving each other in the back. I mean, this is just how that world works. So I agree with you. Um, I think for a lot of us, it, it was uh, a reawakening, if you want to use that word, right? Of like, oh, I have to figure out what's going on here. So one of my concerns, I would like maybe some of your your thoughts is, I know that statistically, you know, thanks to like data from, uh, you know, Samuel Perry um, or the PRRI Institute, like Christian nationalist ideals are like roughly held by 30% of the population. Um, but in that same study, they discovered that roughly three quarters of white evangelicals hold Christian nationalist views. So like the number is really high. I'm not surprised, but it, it confirms what, what a lot of us uh, were suspicious of. One of the struggles for me is just seeing how incredibly well-funded and organized they are to do things that the rest of the country does not want done politically. Um, what are your thoughts on that part of it, like the actual funding? And how do you think we combat that? I mean, I'm a tiny nonprofit. I know you guys do great work, but I'm assuming you know the budget of like the Daily Wire, you know, a couple hundred million dollars. And so I'm just we wondering don't. like for you, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Same to be clear. I'm just wondering for you, like, how do you see this, this, um, ideological battle taking place and, and how do you deal with that 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 funding discrepancy? Well, the funding is a is a huge problem. And I think it's something yeah. that we have to understand. But if it weren't for an ideology, there would not be nothing to activate with the funding. 
Right. And so and I think we all have different pieces of this. Um, So if there are large funders listening who want to combat Christian (laughs) nationalism, there's a large and diverse network that's working to organize against it. And that would be fantastic. But what we're doing as we organize our network is to work with the people to really investigate and interrogate how Christian nationalism is seeping into our own ideologies, our own theologies. Um, You know, you're referencing the work of PRI and uh, Samuel Perry and Andrew Whitehead, that both of those um, groups have done, you know, these social service, I'm sorry, social science surveys around this, and they put Christian nationalism on a scale. So at one end, you have, you know, what we might sometimes lightly refer to as Christian nationalists, right? But those are, it's really more accurately those who are uh, um, ambassadors of Christian yes. nationalism, those who are most bought into the ideology. And in these surveys, that's always the smallest segment, which is yeah. encouraging, right? Yes. But the biggest, inc- biggest segment is the next one down, the accommodators. And so it's those people, the accommodators, those who aren't going to reawaken America tour, but are holding some of these softer views that accommodate Christian nationalism that are our neighbors, that are in our churches, if we're still going to church, that are in our community groups, that live next door to us, that are at our dining tables. You know, those are the people that we can talk to and really try to interrogate and question Christian nationalism. And I think that's the way that we're going to ultimately dismantle this ideology. In the short term, yes, we need to... Um, try to push back against the well-funded interests. But if we can also organize on the ground and with each other, then all the money in the world is not going to, not going to push that right into now. I'm I'm not a Pollyanna about this, right? The problem is these well-funded interests are simultaneously trying to tear down our democracy, right? Right. Trying to take away the framework that um, does have majority rule. Because we have a minority of Americans who really are those who are most bought into Christian nationalism. They know that. And so we need to protect the engines of democracy while we push back against Christian nationalism. Today, we discuss Miro. Today, I want to talk about the hellscape that is technical diagramming, right? Everybody's nodding their heads right now. Uh huh. And there is a potential solution that I want to share. There was one name that several people brought up. I did some digging, and it's kind of nuts how much this program Miro has for developers. I have to share this. It could potentially be a game changer for you. So my favorite part about Miro is that half the work is already done. Like right now, typically we spend hours starting diagrams from scratch, gathering information. You get buy-in from every team. Uh, You know, that's a lot of work to do. But Miro has a full set of integrations with the tools you're probably already using. And they also offer open APIs and SDKs for custom solutions for all those niche diagramming use cases we have to do, right? So the end result is the same, but it doesn't take forever. It's a massive, massive time saver. I'm transforming basic flowcharts and network architectures, and it all lives in one place. So are you using Miro? Have you used it? I want to hear. That's M-I-R-O.com. Yeah, I'm glad you made that distinction because people always ask me, what do I do about Christian nationalism? It's like, well, it depends on, on who we're talking about. You know, if you're talking about, you know, you know, Miss Susie in the pew who holds some Christian nationalist views, that's one conversation where you might be able to persuade her through 
actual relationship that maybe some of these views aren't helpful for all of our neighbors. If we're talking about Charlie Kirk or Michael Flynn, well, you know, we're not really going to persuade them through a conversation. Uh, and so at that point, we have to figure out ways to resist or at least to combat the rhetoric that they're pushing that does millions of views, right? So I agree with you. I do think that like, um, we have to be able to recognize that things are nuanced and that it's not a one size fits all approach and that we all have to work together to do our best to offer people better ways forward that a protect of course their rights but also protect the rights of others because that's how a pluralistic democracy needs to function to remain healthy because like you said earlier in in uh, our conversation your religious freedom uh is tied to the religious freedom of everyone else <laughs> right. right and once there's an imbalance it's only a matter of time before you're the new target of that imbalance and so so that that is important which i i, I agree with you on um couple more questions then we'll get ready to wrap up here. So you're at the Reawaken America tour. Um, you ha you've had some surprising things. Anything in, in a good way that surprised you? Were you able to talk to anyone? Just just asking them why they're there. Any any you know off the record kind of conversations that were just like fascinating for you that, that may maybe give you some kind of hope? A bit, uh, <laughs> I wish I could tell you that. Oh, no, darn. I mean, and and I think again that wasn't our aim. Our aim, as you as you noted, was not to to talk to the people who were there already. If you're if you're attending every Awaken America tour event, you are really bought into Christian nationalism. Um, and our focus at Christians Against Christian Nationalism has always been, you know, people at other ends of the spectrum, the accommodators, the resistors, even the rejectors to get them more involved in the movement. And that makes up, depending on the survey, anywhere from 90, 80 to 90% of the American population. So I've always been like, if we can get these people more firmly entrenched on our side and working against it, then we'll get to the last 10%. Um, yeah. You know, and the numbers, you know, I guess that could be an encouraging, I, I mean, the room wasn't absolutely full, but it was full enough, you know, <laughs> it was, yeah. it was, yeah. I don't know, it, one or 2000 people, you know, I think, yeah, good, I mean, draw. The, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that that was an encouragement. Um, I, I think the greater encouragement that I got from being on the ground was from the response to our counter witness. So, uh, Christians Against Christian Nationalism worked with Faithful America and a number of other um, religious uh, and Christian specifically uh, movements to draw attention to Christian nationalism and to distance ourselves and to explain how Christian nationalism is a gross distortion of the teachings of Jesus. And the response that we got from that advocacy was incredibly encouraging, right? This Good. sense yeah. that we were giving voice to what millions of um, American Christians feel every day yeah. Um, yeah. to to be horrified to see their faith used um, in these ways to further this uh, authoritarian political cause. Yeah, I love that. We were one of the people, we uh, had our name on the billboard yep. as well. We were all in, you know, and Thank I, you. I agree. I, I think maybe we can end on this note, you know, for you, what do you see are the are the best ways for people to start working together? Because I'll just tell you transparently into the audience, I think a lot, maybe too much about this. I'm like, how do we get more networked? How do we build better coalitions? How are we more in communication? How do we just let people know that there is another side of this conversation that is feverishly working, right, to love God and love neighbor by protecting their religious freedoms and that we, we need to work together and have a louder voice. You know, what are some of the things, do you think about that? Like, what are you thinking about? How can folks like, like our organization be better allies? Give me some thoughts on this. Well, I mean, I think your organization does a fantastic job of, 
uniting and bringing people together, you know, who who share um, share views, share concerns and want to do something about it. And I've always said that this cause of dismantling Christian nationalism is much too large for any one organization to take yeah. on alone. Um, totally. What is great, having worked on this issue, you know, in a really concerted and targeted way now for almost four years, is to see that there is a large coalition of groups that is working very collaboratively together, um, both religious groups and not just Christian groups, but groups from other faith traditions, um, as well as secular civil rights groups um, who are committed to finding common cause and dismantling Christian nationalism despite other areas of difference. So I think that is really crucial, is that we understand we don't have to agree on everything. We don't have to agree on every policy position as long as we can agree uh, that Christian nationalism is a poison uh, that is destroying democracy and distorting Christianity, I think that we can uh, really find common cause to work together. I'm also convinced that this work has got to be done on the ground. You know, this is, hmm. we can we can talk about it, we can yeah. educate people about it, um, but yeah. the only way that we're going to really turn the tide is through personal relationship and through equipping people to have tough conversations, you know, with people that they are already in community with about what Christian nationalism is and um, in in words that we're familiar with, to disciple them away from it, right? Um, yeah. If they're if they are more adhering to Christian nationalism to, than to Christianity, like how can we help them understand what a what a departure this is from from the example of Jesus and to to try to help them understand that and to see how we show love for neighbor by dismantling Christian nationalism. So one effort we have is christiansagainstchristiannationalism.org, which uh, anyone can go on and sign a a statement of principles that unifies us, again, across our theological differences. Um, And then our list is open source. And so you can find people in your community who have also signed the pledge. And and so working to bring them together, and we're starting to do some organizing ourselves on the ground. But, you don't have to wait for Christians to, against Christian nationalism to come to your community. We have the list <laughs> up. You can start um, doing some organic organizing of your own in that way. And just um, standing up when you see Christian nationalism threatening in, in, in your community, not just in yeah. the big picture, but, you know, is it coming to your school board? Is it um, coming through some violent act in your community? How can we yeah. show up and, and have a different presence about uh, what a faith-based public witness looks like? Yeah, no, I love that. You know, we, uh, you know, there's people like Andrew Seidel and Americans United and all other kinds of groups that you're right, we have very different beliefs about even God, right? But I do think that there are moments in history where um, it's so important to work together to at least have a democracy left where we can argue about those things without without right. being thrown in prison for them, right? I was talking to a friend who's much more conservative than me, and we both agreed, like, it'd be great to have a democracy left, and then we can get back to arguing about all of our theological claims. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm convinced more than ever. And, you know, as someone who grew up on talk radio, deeply grew up on talk radio, I mean, I whole life, like since age 11, just had it in the background, I don't like to sound like how they sound like a sky is falling any day now you'll be thrown in prison kind of vibe at the same time when you have an insurrection happen in your country um that's an unprecedented moment in our history and when you start 
listening to the words of people like Michael Flynn or whoever else, you start hearing things and then you see what they're advocating for politically. I mean, if anyone wants to know, you can look up the Texas Republican like agenda from like last year. Just read through that thing. It is it is draconian in many ways. They want the is it called the, the Johnson Amendment? They want that repealed. They want the 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 category of transgender erased, like just not a thing anymore. And they want the Ten Commandments in school. And I'm pretty sure I'm not sure if this passed, but they are at least were working on a bill to allow chaplains. It did to, pass. To, Okay, so the, so Texas passed a law that will now allow chaplains to replace school counselors with no training. There's a video on this that went viral of someone asking, is there any, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like education or certification a chaplain must have before they do this? No. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, so, so this is not like, you know, oh, one day some boogeyman out there is going to take away your rights. There's actual proof of this happening in, in systemic and in systematic ways. And the last thing I'll say to anyone out there who thinks we're exaggerating, just look up Project Blitz. Just look it up. Just look up Project Blitz and you can see there, there are people who are committed to seeing America remade in their image of a Christian fundamentalist nation. And they're doing everything they can to make it that way. So anyway, I, I will stop ranting there, but I think it's important that we are able to just be honest and look at what's happening and do all we can as Christians for the sake of all of our neighbors uh, to give them or to do what we can in our tradition to fight back against, against these forces. So yeah. I totally agree. And I'm cool. so <laughs> glad to be in community and coalition with you. This is heck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Amanda, it, it really was great having you on. It was great having you kind of talk about what you experienced at the Reawaken America tour. Uh, where can folks find you? Um, you know, where where's your website? Are you a public figure? Are you more, you know, working with with um, Baptist Joint Committee? Give us all of your socials. Yeah. So um, people can find me on Twitter at Amanda Tyler BJ. BJC. Uh, BJC's on all the social platforms at BJC on the Hill. And then Christians Against Christian Nationalism, the project we coordinate, is on Instagram and TikTok at End Christian Nationalism, E-N-D Christian Nationalism. And then our websites are BJConline.org and ChristiansAgainstChristianNationalism.org. Awesome. I love it. Amanda, you know, keep in touch. It's important to work together, and I'm sure we'll, we'll talk again soon. Great. Thanks so much. Jake Knapp is the inventor of the design sprint and the New York Times bestselling author of the book Sprint. He's also the co-founder of Character, a venture fund for early stage startups. How and why did you start using Miro? I came from this position of thinking, I don't want to be doing stuff online to thinking now when I do a sprint in person with a company, it's like, we're going to use Miro, even though we're all in the same room, because that's a better way for us to get this work done. As an investor, we're basically investing in their ability to solve problems. We're saying, we think this group of people is going to be able to solve a problem in a really great way and create value by doing it. And actually, you need to give people the tools that can help them make decisions, help them collaborate, help them visualize and see things in a different way. 
And Miro does all those things. So to me, at least as an investor, I'm thinking, give the team the tools that are going to help them think, that are going to make the most, brighten their, their skills as smart folks. And Miro is at the top of that list for me. 